Hello, and welcome to the Christ Church Cathedral Podcast. This is the sermon from our past Sunday, recorded live from the cathedral. We hope these words will really speak to your heart and mind. I speak to you in the name of God, creator, redeemer, and giver of life. Amen. Please be seated. Here I am in my liturgical orange. Uh, We were thinking it should be one of the new colors. We'll have to think of a meaning for it and slip it in somewhere. Anyway, it's lovely to uh, see you all uh, in the midst of summer. Uh, Looking at the readings for today, I heard in that poem from Isaiah that God was saying to the people of Judah, I gave you the best of everything, fertile land, the best premium stock of vines, and what did you give me but wild grapes? Instead of producing the finest fruit and the best grapes, And so because of that, there would be uh, no rain and a destruction tear down the walls, let the animals come in, trample down the vines, because the bounty and the the goodness that were given us to start with were wasted. So if we look at a couple of thousand years later, we have given God pollution of land, of air and sea, of overfishing, of clear cutting. So gospel. It seems to me that Jesus has an incredible sense of urgency that nobody else gets. Have you ever felt that frustrated? Like I do when I'm leaving the house and I have to be somewhere on time and Rick goes missing. And I'm like, come on, come on. The key's in the door. The car's at the back door. I just need you in the car. Where are you? Come on. (laughs) That's about as close as my mind was coming to that sense of like, oh, it's driving me crazy. And that's what I hear in Jesus' voice when he's saying to the people, you know, this is where we're at and you don't get it. You can see the signs in the weather, as can we today. You know a storm's coming, and yet you can't see the signs in my ministry that this foreshadows a division between the godly and the ungodly at the end of time. So we, we too can see changes, climate change. Many say it doesn't exist, but we see it, we feel it. We feel those incredible hotter than hot days. I remember seeing a picture of a friend of mine's daughter in England on a school trip in Trafalgar Square, and it was 103. I mean, that's crazy, isn't it? Then we heard of houses setting on fire in London because you know they don't have the wherewithal to deal with the heat. We have seen households set against household recently as we've lived through the pandemic with the backs and the unbacks. Who can come for Christmas dinner and who can't? Who makes the cut and who doesn't make the cut? Who's being ridiculous by being vaccinated or who's being ridiculous by not being vaccinated and what, oh, everything in between. And then we see in the news things like um, Roe versus Wade being overturned. Like, I can't even get my head around that. Like, what century are we in, really? So they're just like, there are signs of craziness everywhere. And I think that if Jesus stood right here this minute, we'd feel that same sense of like, ah, you know, do you get it, people? Now in the news, somewhat maybe minusculely, this past week or the week before was um, something from the Lambeth Conference that we are the Anglicans 
probably knew it was going on. Did you know about the Lambeth Conference? Did it reach your sphere and whatever? All right, that's good, because that's what I'm going to talk about a little bit now. And the theme of the conference uh, it ran from July 26 to August 8, so 14 days, God's Church for God's World. And so what signs have we heard from that? What news? So I followed our Bishop Susan on Facebook and Instagram and read her sort of daily things and saw her radiant smile and, and the excitement and joy she had from being there. And my former classmate uh, from Trinity, class of 97, uh, is now a suffragan bishop in Toronto, Bishop Kevin Robertson. And so I was reading his posts. And then a dear friend of mine that many of you might remember, the Reverend Daniel Brayton, who was formerly a, a vicar here, maybe early 2000s. And so, you know, he often he posts quite a lot of things. So I was reading their commentary. So, but before I get to those things, a story came to mind as I kind of pondered these scriptures and what I might talk to you about. Two stories popped into my head, but I'll, I'll start with this one. So in 2004, I walked the El Camino. I know Wendy's done it. Anybody else here walk the El Camino in Spain? 800 kilometers. So anyway, I took a sabbatical um, from uh, working and I was going alone. Last minute, my daughter came along. And so we set off on July the 1st and we finished on actually July the 26th, but we took a day off on the 25th to not get to St. James Cathedral on St. James Day, figuring it would be bedlam and nowhere to stay and so forth. So we walked that walk in 25 days. So that's an average of 32 kilometers a day. I'm not bragging or complaining. It just was what it was. We got a momentum going and we were, some days we walked 50 kilometers and whatever, it was crazy. And you should not walk the El Camino that fast. So anyway, we get there, and then she went off on a vacation to meet her then-boyfriend, came back fiancé, and is married now 17 years, and four children and two dogs later, very productive. So it all began on the El Camino. Anyhow, having rushed through that, the next year I was at Mount Carmel on a retreat, and in the library that they used to have, I picked up a book called Walk in a Relaxed Manor by Joyce Rupp, and I really like Joyce Rupp's stuff. I had some of her liturgical books, and um, Joyce had walked the El Camino, and then written this book, Walk in a Relaxed Manner. So for some reason, after my experience, that jumped out at me, and I bought that book, and I read it, and it was about walking in a relaxed manner. So I thought, if I ever walk the El Camino again, maybe 10 years from now, I will walk in a relaxed manner. So there's nothing relaxed about me, I talk fast, I walk fast, I get things done. You want something done? Ask me. I do not do things in a relaxed way or talk to my husband at coffee, he'll tell you. <laughs> he gets exhausted just watching me at breakfast time even. So anyway, I thought I will do that. Anyway, I have to be tight today, so long story short, I ended up walking the Camino again in 2008. Only four years later, which wasn't really a plan, but a friend of mine wanted to do it, and anyway. So I managed to arrange the time and off we went. Foremost in my mind was to walk in a relaxed manner. What I learned was be careful what you wish for because you might get it because 
my friend Sue, she'll probably end up watching this at some time, and we're still great friends. We're not just uh, BFFs, we're BBFFs. Because she said, I have at least 200 BFFs, so she needs to be my BBFF, my uh, best, best friend forever. So um, we did this walk together, and it was a new thing for Sue. She hadn't done long distance walking. She had trained and all the rest of it, but she suffered. She got lots of blisters, and from the get-go, she suffered. So my walking in a relaxed manner became heel-toeing across Spain for 800 kilometers. So I did not suffer physically, I suffered mentally <laughs> as I walked with her across Spain in a very slow, but I was not relaxed manner. So walking slowly is not necessarily relaxing. Anyway, we had lots of fun, we did it. But what I realized was, because some friends that you meet that you pass on a daily basis and you meet up with in hostels said, well, at the, end, at the beginning of the day, why don't you just say, you know, I'll meet you in uh, such and such a town at this hostel and see ya. I said, well, I can't do that. I would walk ahead, but only far enough that she could still see me and then I'd wait and we'd walk together and so on. I said, I choose to walk with her. I choose not to leave her, as frustrating as it was. We've done many other walks since then, but that one was a challenge. So, so that's what I learned out of that. I made that choice, that it was a struggle for me, but it was a struggle for her in other ways. But we set off to do the Camino. Camino, Camino. We were, are still companions on the way. So I chose to be her companion, and we stayed together. That brings me, in a long-winded way, to the Anglican Communion. And we are 85 million people, Anglicans around the world, who choose to be Anglican, who express our way of being Christian in the world through the Anglican way. Sounds like a lot of people were spread across 165 countries, and we choose to walk together in our form of Christianity, if you like, our expression of Christianity. We choose to walk together. And if you followed the conference at all, you know that the, the bishops of what they called the progress, progressive West, and then the bishops of what they called the global South came to blows, right? It was not an easy walk. There were struggles for both sides and all of those in between. But at the end of the day, with the guidance of Justin Swelby and all kinds of stuff and feathers flying, I'm sure, behind the scenes, they chose and agreed to continue to walk together. They agreed to disagree and made this choice that, to find a way to continue to walk together. Because the other choice is that we're not an Anglican communion anymore, we just fragment and everybody goes and does their own thing. Does the world really care that we met. There are 8 billion people in the world, just coming up to 8 billion people in the world. So 85 million, I know, somebody else do the math, it's just a little bit, right? So we're just a small representation. So did the, the world care that we met? And are we really God's church for God's world in this day and age? So the bishops over their 14 days together had to consider 10 calls. Only one, to my knowledge, made the news, and that was the call to human dignity. 
right? So you maybe heard something about that. Bishop Kevin, uh, in the Diocese of Toronto, suffragan bishop, on Facebook, he posted before the conference began. It's a long statement, so bear with me, because I'm going to read it all. I've tried to think, what could I edit, but I can't. I need to hear it all uh, in, in light of what we're talking about today. It holds pertinent information. He said, dear Facebook friends, like many of you, I have been shocked and dismayed by the Lambeth call on human dignity, which in part calls upon the bishops to reaffirm the Lambeth Resolution 1.10 of 1998, that 24-year-old resolution for which there was no consensus even then, limits the definition of marriage to a man and a woman in a lifelong union. I strongly oppose the proposal to reaffirm this resolution at the upcoming Lambeth Conference and have conveyed this to the Archbishop of Canterbury. I believe it would significantly set back the pursuit of justice and the respect for the dignity of every human person to which we are called in baptism. Moreover, as a gay man married to another man, my understanding and experience of human dignity includes the blessing of two people joined together in holy marriage, regardless of gender. What is more disturbing is that, as a member of the Human Dignity Call drafting group, I never agreed to this call in its present form. At no point did we discuss the reaffirmation of Lambeth 1.10 at the conference, and it never appeared in any of the early drafts of our work together. I can confidently say that the Human Dignity Call does not represent the mind of the drafting group, and I distance myself from the reaffirmation of Lambeth 1.10 in the strongest possible ways. I also unequivocally reject the phrase within the call, in quotations, it is the mind of the Anglican Communion as a whole that same gender marriage is not permissible. This statement is simply not true. With others, I am seeking to amend the human dignity call over the coming hours and days. I am hopeful that this is possible. There are many things in the document that do reflect the good work of our drafting group and that would be tremendously positive for the church and the world, especially the call to protect human dignity with particular attention to sexuality and gender. So I very much hope that the human dignity call can be amended rather than rejected. Please pray for a positive outcome to this work. My siblings in the LGBTQ2S plus community, remember that you are deeply loved and cherished. Our place in this beloved church is not dependent on any resolution or call by virtue of the fact that we are fearfully and wonderfully made by our loving creator and redeemed through Christ. This is our church and we belong fully. So there was nothing I could leave out of that, of what Kevin said. Um, he lays the groundwork that there was some sleight of hand going on between what the drafting group sent in and what ended, how that happened, how it got to the bishops in their briefs to read before the conference, but it did. And that's when, you know, the fox got in the coop and there was feathers flying everywhere. So um, 
Kevin, I saw, he posted a, a link to an interview he had on TV, on the morning news, along with a conservative bishop who actually wanted the call in its doctored up way. And that's what the world was interested in. We didn't hear about the nine other things that they discussed, the nine other calls. We heard about this one. And I think it was because it seemed like, once again, the church was moving backward that the progress that we'd made was now going to be just pulled out the rug from under our feet. Fortunately, on July 26, the first day of the Lambeth Conference, Kevin posted, I am very pleased to announce that the call to reaffirm the Lambeth 1.10 1998 resolution has been dropped. Grateful to all who helped to amend this call. Phew, was my reaction. Praise the Lord. Then my friend, the Reverend Dan Breton, in the Diocese of Toronto, also a gay man married to a man, quoted from the amended call. So, quotes. This is the, the call that was amended. While there is deep differences on matters of sexuality, there is a serious commitment to listening and walking together in spite of the differences to the maximum possible degree end of that quote. To which Dan said, the thing is, some of us are tired of walking. We've been waiting to run our entire lives. That any bishop, priest, deacon, or lay Christian in the entire worldwide Anglican communion would need a conference, days of Bible study, theological sharing, and speeches from archbishops just to confirm my human dignity is a no-win. It's appalling and shameful. So I, I, these three sort of comments have stayed with me because I think they represent sort of what it feels to be in that community of LGBTQ2S plus world and feel what it feels like uh, to still be part of the church that's been a struggle to stay with to have the blisters and calluses on their feet from the daily uh, churning out of these kilometers of trying to walk along within the Anglican Church and within the Anglican Communion and constantly have who you are as a person. You know, I, I thought to myself, if we could do sort of a laser heat generated map of the world, you know, an aerial thing, and have all of the, the dots show where LGBTQ 2S plus people exist, it would be all over the place, right? It's not just in North America or so-called Western progressives. We are who we are, who God created, fearfully and wonderfully made, and that would be shown all around the world. Unfortunately, in some countries and cultures, it's just more difficult to be yourself and be who you are. So in another post, he wrote, that uh, while the Archbishop of Canterbury releases a statement essentially pleading the Anglican community to the status quo, over 90 Anglican bishops, including eight archbishops attending the Lambeth Conference, have issued a statement seeking to affirm and celebrate LGBTQ plus people. So, and, and as a side, our Bishop Susan was one who signed that too. In the comments below his post as people chit-chat, he also replied to someone, I just don't think many people realize how exhausting and dehumanizing it is to constantly be an issue for debate. 
even if the debate goes in your favor. I'm so tired of being a problem, a point of division, and a headline. That's what it feels like in reality. And Dan is very eloquent, so I'm sure that many other people in that community feel that. Walk a mile in other people's shoes, right? Walk a mile in other people's moccasins is really what we would hear. Walk a mile in other people's shoes. And like I tried on the Camino to think, how fast would I walk if I had blisters upon blisters upon blisters and bandages crammed in my shoes? And that's what's happened in that community, right? There is many, much information available, so if you'd like to read more deeply, I need to skip to the closing day and what our Bishop Susan had to say, to give her the last word, if you like. So on, one, on her post on the last day, she said, it's a wrap. The complicated, wonderful, tense, joyful, tearful, challenging, not challenging enough, sorrowful, exciting, prayerful, roller coaster ride called Lambeth is now over for another decade. I am honored to be an Anglican bishop and part of this communion, which does not mean that we don't have a bunch of work to do to challenge our church to be honest and healthy, a voice for the voiceless and protection for the vulnerable. By God's grace, we go on together holding all that intention. So I'm dying to hear when she first comes to talk and, and write to us about uh, her experiences there over those two weeks. So I'm getting to my closing, but another story from another walk. So in my, I don't know, middle-aged crazy youth, when I had time, or made time, uh, I did a lot of long-distance walks. So another one in 2007 was to base Camp Everest. So not the summit of Everest. I don't have a death wish to do that ice walk thing across the ladder, and I don't like heights, actually. And uh, So this is just to get to base Camp Everest at 17,500 feet. So I learned many things along the way, and I've had trouble stopping my mind going off on tangents all over. And I said to Rick, if I ever have time, I'm going to sit down and write these stories down, because I've got so many good stories in my head. Well, I think they're good stories anyway. Um, so when we uh, get there through many flights and so forth and land in Kathmandu, then you fly to Lukla. So in Sir Edmund Hillary's day, they had to walk from Kathmandu to Lukla, and he had this little airstrip put in. It's the world's shortest, most dangerous airstrip uh, ever, if you look it up. It's not fun. Um, anyway, we land there in this little tiny plane, and you go uphill. That's how you stop before you hit the frost fence that all the people are stood looking at you, trying to be Sherpas for you. Anyway, the first day, our guide, Pasang, said, oh, on you go, you know, it's up. Go up that path, you're gonna go up. So off we went, and really, you're going around the Himalayas, right? So you kind of do altitude, you go down, you cross a bridge, you go around another piece of the Himalayas, and so forth, that's how you weave your way to, um, to base Camp Everest. So he just said, on you go, walk. So my roommate and I, we met at the airport, and we hit it off, and we set off and walked, and we were both pretty fit and pretty fast walkers and talkers, and so, of course, we were miles ahead of everybody, and then we go, oh, they're not following us, we better wait, and take pictures and chat and so forth. 
So this went on for a couple of days, and then all of a sudden we were getting to a place where we were going to start to do some more serious altitude and, and stiffer climbs. And that day, Hassan came out and he said, OK, now I will put you in order, and this is how you'll walk. So he took these, this couple, one had a bad knee, and she was just struggling. You'll be at the front, and so forth and so forth. And guess who was at the back? Lauren Lynn. And we were like, what? So it's very frustrating. So everybody set off to walk, you know, with their difficulties. And we're like, okay. So we said, Pasang, this is driving us nuts. Why do we need to walk at the back? He said, because it's going to be really challenging ahead. And we can only walk as fast as our slowest walker. The Anglican communion, people. We can only walk as fast as our slowest walkers if we want to stay together and be companions on the way. That's the price of being a community and a communion, right? So we can only walk as fast as the slowest walker. That's what came in my head when I was putting all this together. We are called by today's gospel to justice and to interpret the present time, not to continue to be behind the times if we are to be God's church for God's world. We cannot stay behind, but we need to walk at the pace that we can stay together. And that is tense. And like Jesus said, if not now, when? It matters now. Our commitment to the Anglican Communion calls us to walk together, and we can only walk as fast as our slowest members. So as I said, I'm looking forward to hearing more from Bishop Susan, who was actually there. The Diocese of Niagara, I'm proud of, has always been a pioneer, be it for the ordination of women. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, for same-gender blessings and marriage in the fight for human dignity for all people. I have no doubt we will continue with Bishop Sudan's leadership and God's grace. We go on together holding all of that intention. Amen. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a production of Christ Church Cathedral. Audio editing and original theme by Eduardo Farias. We hope you join us again soon. Have a blessed day.